Listen, we are in the Gospel of John, and what we've been focusing on the past six weeks, now the seventh, is basically the miracles or the signs that Jesus did uh, while he was on the earth. Now, he did a whole lot more than that, but John focuses on seven specific miracles or signs, and he did it for a reason. Because in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John gives us his thesis, his purpose statement as to why he wrote the Gospel of John. He says in John 20, 30 to 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here it comes, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. So his purpose of writing the gospel was not to give an exhaustive account of Jesus' life and dealings and stuff. No, it was to show by these seven signs that Jesus is who the scriptures say he is. He is the Christ, the very Son of God. And then if you and I would put our faith and trust in him, in his finished work, when he went to that cross to die for my sin and for your sin, you would have eternal life with God. In these weeks, what we talked about was these seven signs. And and the one we're going to deal with is actually sign number six. Because for Easter, we did sign seven, the raising of Lazarus. So I'm going to actually go back to chapter nine. And what we try to do with each of these signs is accomplish two things. First of all, these signs will prove the deity of Christ. Okay, It's going to reveal the glory of God. Second, these signs meet a practical need in someone's life. I love that. Because we have a God who is out there. He's absolutely amazing. He is holy. He is utterly other than anything. Okay? You have God and then you have everything else. All right? Because everything else was created by God. So he is utterly other. He is holy. He is all might. He is all powerful. He's wow. But here's the other cool part about God. Not only is he out there, he's also right here. He knows what you and I are going through. He rejoices when we rejoice. And as we found out at Easter, uh, in the, the raising of Lazarus, he weeps when we weep. Okay? God is with us. He is Emmanuel. And that is so amazing. So when we think about the, the awesomeness of God, what it should do is bring an awe and a fear. But then that fear is relieved when we realize that every uh, ounce of his strength... He is going to bring glory to His name and good to all of those who trust in Him. And so that brings a peace to us believers. Well, today we're going to talk about sight, okay? We're going to talk about sight and the opposite, which of course is blindness. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 9. We're actually going to cover the the whole chapter. So we're going to be walking through a little quick uh, through this. But wow, in this sixth miracle, this sixth sign, Jesus reveals a profound truth that you and I must uh, receive, okay? We must deal with in our own personal life if we want to grow in our relationship with God. In John chapter 9, actually in chapter 8, it kind of talks a little bit about more about Jesus saying He's the light of the world. But then chapter 9 picks up with this. And as Jesus passed by, He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So this man, it wasn't like, you know, he had a a great childhood, everything was great, and then something happened, He uh, he got a concussion or two when he was playing, you know, Jerusalem pickup basketball or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't that, okay? It wasn't that, that he got a hereditary disease. All right, And a few years later, he became blind. He was born this way. All right. He was born blind. And so the disciples ask a very interesting question. Who sinned? Clearly, there is a problem with this man. So who sinned? Did he do it like when he was in the womb? Or... Did his parents sin that he was born blind? Listen to the response of Jesus. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Just before we even really begin, we've got to address something 
from the disciples' perspective. The disciples, at that moment, were full of legalism. Okay, Legalism is, I have to work in order for God to like me. And of course, if I don't work, then that means God doesn't like me. That, that's the legal, religious uh, system that they, that they were brought under during that time. And so it makes sense. If you do good, God blesses you. But if you do bad, then God curses you. That's a mindset that has not died in the first century. It's something that you and I deal with on a daily basis. We struggle with that because we have our own issues and we have our own ideals of what makes God happy and not. Well, I need to, I need to be very honest with you from the very beginning of this message. Okay? You need to stop listening to your heart and your own understanding of what God likes and doesn't like. And you need to go to his revealed word. He tells you, this is so awesome. We serve a God that you don't have to figure out. You can't do it. Everyone tries, and that's why there's religion after religion after religion, because people are trying right in here to figure God out. You can't do it. The only way you can know God is not by figuring it out yourself, but God has to reveal it to you. He has to show you who he is, his true self. And he has done that for us in the scriptures, in the Bible. So the legalism is what you and I struggle with today. And so we need to check our heart. We need to check our eyes as well on this. Now, is Jesus saying in this passage, he says, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. Is he saying that this man or this man's parents were sinless? No, he's not saying that. What Jesus is giving, and here's a truth that I think hopefully will bring some some peace to some of y'all this morning. The reason we have sickness, the reason we have natural disasters, the reason we experience death is because of sin, generally. All right? We live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, guess what? We get dirty. We make mistakes and we sin. Now, we may not sin as much as other people. Stop right there, legalist. Okay? All right. We all sin uh, a tremendous amount in ourselves. Okay? We don't even look, need to look at other people. But we do know some people that on the outside seem to sin a lot less and they struggle with a lot more, don't they? What Jesus is saying here is sure... He's born blind because of their sin in the world. It's a fallen world. But not every personal sin is going to be dealt a personal, physical ailment. Now, I want this to bring peace to you for a moment. And here's why. Because some of you guys are struggling with things. Some of you ladies are struggling. How did I get cancer? I thought I was living for God. Yeah, I made my mistakes, but, but I've confessed things to God, and yet I still have cancer. Is God mad at me? No, He's not mad at you. If you truly are a born-again believer, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you by the authority of God's Word that the very God who saved you is sitting with you right now, weeping with you. Is he strong enough and mighty enough to, to heal you? Yes, he is. So then why, why haven't we been healed? Is it something that I still haven't done yet? Let's see what the scripture says. I don't want to lay you totally off the hook. Sometimes, yeah, you're going to deal with it. If you drink and drive, you're going to have some physical consequences of that. But we're speaking generally here. Jesus says... It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The works of God might be displayed in him. Meaning this, this person, whether God allowed it or even ordained it, which might make us a little nervous. Wait, God's allowing this or or God, God opened the door for this person to be blind at birth? We don't understand good and we don't understand evil. Because our idea of good is this. God, give me a great 79.8 years here on earth. Let me live absolutely perfect, absolute health, great. And then on, on the day of my choosing, 
I want to go ahead and lay down in my cushy bed and fall asleep and then open my eyes into the kingdom of heaven without one scar on me at all. That's not how your faith is built. Your faith grows in adversity. You become mature and complete through trials. And God is not focused on the next 70, 80, 100 years. He's focused on eternity. And if that's true, then God will allow temporary pain for eternal pleasure. That's hard for us to swallow here, especially in our, in our cushy, Americanized understanding of the gospel that should be health, wealth, and great prosperity, and my relationship should be perfect. Listen, we live in a fallen world. The only thing that makes this world good is my relationship with Jesus. That's it. And so Jesus is going to bring a profound truth here. But before he does, this is so cool, he's going to do a blessing to this one man. Let's keep reading. Uh, Jesus said, it is not this man uh, that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Listen to what he says now. We must work the works of him. We, you and I, the disciples is what he's speaking of. We must work the works of him, Jesus, uh, who sent me, or God, excuse me, who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. What does that mean? That means that there's going to come a time when, when Jesus is going to be away from us, because it says in the next verse, as long as I'm here, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's a question. What are the works of God that you and I are to be doing? The disciples, what are we to be doing? This is so cool. The disciples were focused on this man who was sick, and he may live a few more years, and they're focused on, okay, who sinned in order for this to happen? Jesus is like, oh boy, you're about to see the reason why I came through this man. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What are the works of God that you and I are to do? Well, if Jesus is the light, he calls us to be the light and to bring people to Jesus, opening blind eyes. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, this is his mission statement from Isaiah. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, listen to what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So here it is. My role in this earth is to bring good news to the poor. Here it comes. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives. Those people are enslaved by sin. He wants to bring freedom to them by trusting in Christ, not themselves. Because when we trust in ourselves, we get more and more into sin's captivity. We think that we're strong enough. Listen, sin is always stronger than you. Satan is stronger than you, but neither are stronger than God. That's why we need him to save us, not ourselves. He goes on to say this, and recovering of sight to the blind. That's what the scripture says right there. So Jesus is saying, I am doing the works of God. I'm about to bring sight to this blind man, but there's a bigger picture. I'm going to bring good news to the poor. I'm going to bring liberty to captives, recovering sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. There's going to come a time when God in his great wisdom is going to bless and he's going to judge. He's going to give out gifts and he's going to send people away. And he does it righteously. He does it wonderfully and he does it beautifully to everyone who would stop running against God and run for him to be on his team. He wants to bless. He wants to give eternal life. But to those who would reject God, he lets them go their own way. And their way will be eternity separated from God. In a place called hell. Listen, back to our story. Let's go back to John chapter 9. Because now it's going to start happening. Having said these things, after Jesus just gave this commentary uh, on what good and bad is, okay, and, and uh, the disciples understanding where sin comes from, uh, some sins come from, he says this, Jesus spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Jesus was making mud pies, all right? 
Then Jesus anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Man, there's so much there. I don't have time to talk about today. But go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man, the blind man, went and he washed, and listen to this, and he came back seeing. All right, this, is, this is that personal miracle that Jesus deals with. Because Jesus cares about this man, and he wants this man to, uh, to see things he has never seen before. Because when was he blind? From what? From birth. So that means this man, before this time, he has never seen a sunrise or a sunset. This person has never seen the beauty of trees in their fullest bloom, nor the flowers in the fields. This person has never seen a mountain, a valley, rainbows. All his life was darkness until the light of the world came. And then he can see. All right, so we got kind of deep there. Now let's start getting real personal. How do you think the townspeople would respond to this? This person for years, most blind people, what they do is they get in front of the temple and they ask for some help, some alms, okay? They wanted people to throw in some coins so that that's really the only job they could do, okay? They couldn't work uh, at normal jobs like you and I did because they could not see. How would the people around him who knew him, how would they respond to such a miracle. How would you respond if someone you know was, was treated with a, a, a deathly illness or a, a blindness or an inability in their life and then the next day they're whole. They're able to walk. They're able to talk. They're able to speak. They're able to hear things that they've never been able to do. How would you respond to something like that? good question this miracle heals a physically blind man but here's Jesus' big point this miracle also reveals the spiritual blindness of you and I I want to explain four reasons and here's our sermon four reasons why we are spiritually blind four reasons why we're spiritually blind number one blindness can be caused because of skepticism Blindness can be caused because of skepticism. Look at verse 8. And and if you have your Bibles, keep them. I won't be doing a whole lot of jumping around. I'm going to stay in here for the most part. I'll hop here and there. But in verse 8, listen to what happened. The neighbors, all right? First people to see him. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said... Well, yeah, it's he. But others said, no, but this guy looks like him. All right, kind of writing that off. But the man kept saying, I'm the man. I am the man. I've been healed. So they said to them, well, then how? How were your eyes opened? And he said, a man called Jesus. He made mud. He anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I did. I went and I washed and I received my sight. And then they said, well, where is he? He said, I, I don't know. So apparently, by the time he went and washed and got back, Jesus had already moved on. Blindness can be caused by skepticism. And that's what the neighbors were dealing with right now. Okay, They were focusing on the how instead of the who. To them, what they just saw was impossible. And they had a very hard time swallowing it. They couldn't believe unless all their questions were answered. How many of y'all been there? Sometimes we can't believe until all of our questions are answered. And there's the rub. Because everything that you want to know down here can be put into a test tube. It really can. But faith is believing without seeing. Now here's the beauty about Christianity. It's not blind faith. All right, Blind faith is this. I have 
no idea about anything, but someone said to jump off this cliff and I'll be okay. So one, two, three, here I go. That's blind faith. That's dumb. Don't do that. All right? But Christian faith is completely different. Christian faith is this. Since the beginning of time, God has declared to us in his word and through the actions of God's people, even us today, we have seen that everything God says is true. Everything God does is right. And God has been consistent over millennia. He has never been proven wrong. And everything he has told his people to do at first may have begun with pain, but it always ends with a greater victory than you and I could have ever asked, thought, or imagined. So because of his history of always being correct, always being honest, always being right, always being honorable, now, because of his track record, if he tells me today, go do this, I have faith that he will accomplish what he asks me to do. That is not blind faith. That is faith based on the character and nature of God that has never been proven wrong. If you and I were to go out to eat every Monday, and guess what? I'm always 10 minutes late. Listen, it's not blind faith for you to say, I'm going to be late again, right? Because that's my nature. God's nature has always been perfect and always been accurate. And so that's why we trust a God that we cannot see. Because everything that he has shown us has always been good. Skeptics. They cannot believe unless all their questions are asked. Faith says this. Everything that you do see has been right and accurate. Trust me on the things that you can't see. Listen, if you're struggling with skepticism, hey, that's not a bad thing. I get that. What I want to ask you is to keep on that journey. All right? Keep struggling. All right? Keep looking in God's word. Keep talking to people. Get involved in a small group. And have that small group just kind of share with you uh, God's perspective on issues of your life. And through that time, here's what will happen. I believe God will reveal himself to you in a beautiful and mighty way. So if you're skeptical right now, keep pursuing. It's worth it. I mean, eternity is at stake. If you're a skeptic, keep, keep struggling. Keep on the journey. Here's another reason why we're spiritually blind. We're blind because, number two, blindness can be caused by disbelief. Sounds a lot like skepticism, except it's one step further away from God. Skepticism says this. What you're saying sounds pretty crazy and kind of unbelievable. I need more information. Unbelief says, uh, that's a little too much for me. I don't think I can go there. All right? Blindness caused by disbelief says that what's happening is too sensational to believe. Let's look at verse 13. And look at those who do not believe. Verse 13. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And the man said to him, Jesus put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. So here was the problem. Jesus did this miracle on a day that according to man's religion should not have happened. So how could he be of God if he broke our laws? Okay, How could he be God if he breaks man's laws? Because the Sabbath laws did not count for this. This was the Pharisees adding more laws and more laws into the holy day of Sabbath so that they wouldn't break God's law. So they put more and more boundaries up and Jesus wasn't going to abide by man's laws. He's God. Listen, let's stop putting God in a box and let him be God. And then let's follow his lead instead of uh, forcing him into our mold. So again, uh, the Pharisee said, This man is not of God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, Well, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And then there was division among them. So half the group is like, He can't be God because he breaks the Sabbath. Another half of the group says, How can we call this guy a sinner if he just did a miracle that only God can do? So there was, there was 
division within the Pharisee, the religious group. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so they were duking it out, so to speak. And so again, they said to the blind man, what do you say about Jesus since he's opened up your eyes? So now they're, they're stumped. They're full of unbelief. They can't, they can't believe God, but they need some sort of answer. Okay, they're struggling. So they asked the man who was now uh, uh, seeing, who was once blind, what do you say about Jesus? And here's his answer. Look, look at verse 18. He said, he's a prophet. He's got to be a prophet, right? For him to do what he did, he must be sent from God. And listen to this. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. They do kind of like what uh, what some of us may do at, at those you know uh, Benny Hinn rallies and stuff, where you have all these people lining up and people get knocked over, and are they really healed or not? They're like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, this looks a little phony here. This looks a little weird here. This guy, there, there's some backstory. He probably got some some money you know on the side in order to pretend like he was blind. And see, here's what a person of unbelief does: they try to talk away the miracle. Doesn't that happen every Easter? It seems like every Easter you have on cable television why the Easter story is not true. You've never noticed that? It comes out around Easter. A new book is revealed, okay? Or, or a new scientific method. Or, oh, we found Jesus' tomb, and it wasn't Jesus. Okay, it was Julio, not Jesus. You know, and they come up with all these different things in order to try to veer us away from the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And so... That's what unbelief does. Unbelief says, I cannot understand, and here's why. It's against everything I believe. The Pharisees, what happened to Jesus was against everything they believed, so this could not have happened. If you are struggling with unbelief today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have some patience. I want you to connect with someone here at the church and say, man, I... You know, let's walk through this together. Let's look at the Bible. Okay, let's look at other extra-biblical sources. And, and let, let, let's really get to the point of who is this Jesus. If you have patience, if you have a mind that's willing to accept things that you may not believe in your own, in your own box, I believe God's going to reveal himself to you. If you have someone... Maybe a workplace or maybe someone in your own house. Maybe a child or a grandkid that's struggling in their faith. I want you to be patient with them. I want you to be understanding. Keep sharing the truth. There's a third blindness. That I think many of us, not we don't face right here today, okay, on Sunday in the midst of the building. But it's something that we struggle with Monday through Saturday night. Number three, blindness can be caused by fear. Blindness can be caused by fear. Look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that this man had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and they asked him this, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? It's a good question to ask the parents, right? Listen to how his parents answered. This is crazy. Okay, Pharisees, here's what we know, okay? I'm going to just give you some facts, and I'm going to walk away, all right? He says, we, they say, we know that this is our son. That's true. This is our biological son. And we know that he was born blind. But now he sees. There's three facts right there. This is my son. He was born blind, and now he sees. But how he sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. Okay? That is, that is a, a husband and wife that's just trying to get out of town. Okay? They just, they don't want to deal with the pressure. And here's what the pressure was. Let's keep reading. They said, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they what? They feared the Jews. For the Jews had already made an agreement that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So here, because the Bible gives us that information, 
I have a feeling that these parents knew more than, than just the facts. Here's what I believe the parents knew because of what was just said there. In the parentheses, what was said there. I believe that the parents, yes, that's my son. Yes, he's blind. But now he's not because of a man named Jesus. Oh my goodness. Son. My son. Once blind, now can see. This is amazing. But. We have been alive these decades. Okay, the parents, maybe they were 50s, 60s, 70 year old. And they have been a part of their church for decades. And the church leaders said, if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you're going to get kicked out. You're going to get kicked out of your community. And they feared man. They feared man. They wanted to protect their self. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The parents had to make a decision. Are we going to believe in this miracle maker? He clearly did something that is unexplainable. Or are we going to hide this truth So that our life remains the same. Sometimes we're blind because of fear. What is the greatest thing to fear? You know this from last week. What is the greatest thing that you and I can fear? Is it man? No. What's the greatest thing that we fear? Anyone want to die today? Anybody? No hands up? Yeah, right? That's the greatest thing that we fear, right? I wish we could. We all feared God. That would be awesome. <laughs> That's what we should fear. But let's be honest. The greatest thing that we normal humans fear is death. You heard the story, right? Where uh, the pastor went to the children's department and the pastor was like, Hey, kids, how many of y'all want to go to heaven? And the kids were all silent and everything. They're like, what? What's the deal here? Don't these kids want to go to heaven? Come on, kids. Who wants to go to heaven? No one was raising their hand. So the pastor gets up and gets right in the face of one of the, the students and says, Hey, don't you want to go to heaven? And the kid's like, Do I have to go now? Yeah, so that's a good point. Okay. Listen, we fear death. But here's the, here's the amazing truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we find this. In Mark chapter 5, verse 35 and 36. Jesus was doing his miracle stuff. There was a man named Jairus, okay? He was a religious leader. And he had a daughter who was deathly ill. And he was full of fear. Why? Because the greatest thing to fear is death. No, the greatest thing to fear is your kid's death. Right? And so this man... Pursued Jesus like crazy. Found Jesus, grabbed him probably by the turban. Said, Jesus, you need to come to my house. You need to come to my house. The crowds were so big. They were bumping into everybody. And in the midst of the bump, there was a lady who touched Jesus's, the hem of his garment. And she had been sick for 12 years. And in the very moment she touched his garment, she was healed. Jesus realized it. He stopped. Jairus is like, come on, Jesus. He's like, hold on a second. I know you're a religious person, you're quite amazing and all this other good stuff, but listen, I treat everybody the same. And so this woman right here, poor woman, because she spent all her money on medicines and it didn't work, he said, she is just as important to me as you are. So Jesus spends some time, talks to this lady, builds faith in this lady. And then when he's done, he walks with Jairus. And before they get to the house, before they get to the house, Jairus receives horrible news. In Mark chapter 5, verse 35 and 36, the scripture says, While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear. What was his great fear? The death of his daughter. And he told him not to fear that. 
but instead believe. What this man needed was faith. What you and I need, the greatest fear of our lives, blindness that causes fear, the greatest thing you and I need is faith. To trust that the love of God is greater than any fears that this world could ever bring. John says it this way in 1 John 4. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. You know, yipes, I'm scared of something bad happening to us. But listen, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. What he's saying is you don't have to fear punishment anymore because that's why Jesus went to the cross to die and to pay for your punishment. If you would put your faith and trust in Jesus as the one who died in your place, the scripture says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So now, Jairus, now everyone who hears the truth of God's word does not have to be blinded by fear. But their eyes can be opened to the reality that the God who made everything with all might and all power uses that power to pour out his love and grace upon anyone who would believe in his name. And that's why we live and move and have our being. So I urge you, if you are in a place of fear right now, get to know him more. Because I can honestly say this. The more you know him, the more you will love him. He is that good. If you would truly open your heart to the truth of who Jesus is, no more fear is needed. You dive in to the grace of God. The alternative to that is forever fear. There's a fourth blindness. This is the scariest of all blindnesses. Blindness can be caused, spiritual blindness can be caused by pride. If you're in a state of pride, except for the movement of God, you're you're in trouble. You can't get out of it on your own. You need some divine help here. Let's see what that looks like. John 9, verse 24 to 34. So for the second time, they called the man. So they just got the parents out of the way. Now they're calling the man back. He says, uh, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. Okay? What they're saying is, put your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's what they're saying. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So here's what they did. They said, we want you to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And here's what the truth we're going to tell you to say. Hmm, that's interesting. We want you to tell you the truth. And by the way, the truth is that Jesus is a sinner, right? Just go ahead and say that so we can move on. That's what they wanted him to say. But here's how he answered. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Let that resonate in your heart and life. That's, that is something that I hope that every person in this room would be able to confidently say this morning. I don't know much about Jesus. But here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. One of the greatest hymns that's ever been written. Amazing Grace takes this very line and uses it for the praise and the honor of our Lord Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How does it go? I once was lost, but now am found. What does it say? What a truth. They said to him, what did he do to you? (laughs) This gets kind of funny. It's like a Monty Python movie, really, is what happens here. Listen to this. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So the guy said, I have already told you, and you're not listening. See, that's what pride does. Pride closes your ears. I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Here it comes. Do you also want to become his disciple? Burn! 
I mean, that's, that's messed up. So they got really happy. No, they didn't. It says, <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, no, 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 no. You are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We're all up into this law stuff. And he goes this. He, he goes on to say, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. And listen to how the man answers. It's so cool. Because he's speaking to the elites, the wise people with all the degrees and all the knowledge. And the man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. Can you imagine him? (laughs) He was blind, now he sees, and now he sees better than the religious people ever could. He says, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? Listen, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if everyone is a wor- but if, excuse me, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Mic drop right there. He laid it out to the, to the uh, Pharisees. How can you not say that this man is of God? He does things only God can do. And here's what pride does. Pride says this. Fine. I can't argue with me. You're ugly. Right? And that pride attacks the character. Because they can't defend against the truth. Look at what happened. They answered him, well, you were born in utter sin. Meaning that they had the same view that the disciples had at the beginning, right? Well, well, you're just a big sinner from birth. And you would teach us? And they cast him out. They didn't want to hear truth because their life was consumed with pride. The Pharisees refused to believe in Jesus because here it comes. Jesus did not fit their narrative. They thought that the Messiah would come for the religious leaders. Not hanging out with sinners. They thought that Jesus would come to uphold and demand full allegiance to the law, or at least their version of it. They believed that Jesus would come from an immaculate pedigree. Everything that he would, be, that he would do would be in line with their thinking. They wanted a Messiah to support them, not save them. Pride. Pride. A prideful person cannot hear you, no matter how much truth you bring. Peter, the apostle, says this in 1 Peter 5, 5-7. He tells the disciples, all the people of God, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, because they oppose him, by the way. But he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Okay, those are the four uh, unbelief areas that, that you and I have to walk through. We have to deal with. Those four areas show that in some areas or all areas of our Christian life, we are blind. We're blind to who Jesus is. But what is the result of belief? Church, the result of belief is sight. Let me finish this chapter. Go to verse 34. It says, They said to him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, Jesus said, listen to this, this is so awesome. This man physically, his eyes have been opened. He has seen the great beauty of God's creation. He has heard the the, uh, ignorance of spiritually blind people. And now he's standing face to face with Jesus. Jesus said this, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? He is ready to believe. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you now. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped 
Jesus. He didn't need to have all of his questions answered. All he knew was that he was blind and now he can see. He knew that Jesus was a man who spoke truth in the midst of a world that's calling him a liar. And he said, show me this son of man and I'll believe. And Jesus reveals himself and he worships. That's not the end. Here's Jesus' whole point. Why did Jesus heal this person? Right? We need to know why did, why, did, why did all this happen? Why did this man have to suffer with blindness? And then the very first days of his, of his sight, he had to suffer persecution. Why? Here's why. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Here's why Jesus came into the world. Picture this, all right? Picture this. On that wall over there is judgment, okay? There's going to come a time when you and I will have to stand face to face with a holy God, all right? He's a God who always judges righteously, so he's always going to do the right thing. Here's the problem. Without Christ, I am full of sin and wrong. And so if he's going to do the right thing, then he's going to forever punish me because I deserve it. So I'm headed towards judgment. And Jesus said, why did he come? Because judgment's coming, right? So imagine me going towards this wall. Jesus just said, here's the reason why I came. Because judgment's about to happen. So Jesus gets in front of me, okay? He gets in front of me and says, there's another way. Are you kidding me? Do you not see that, Kenny? Can I borrow you for just a moment? Okay, it's Kenny. You're heading towards. You're heading towards that wall. Okay, every one of us. Kenny is now what? Thirty years old. Okay, yeah. Keep going. Now you're forty. Now you're fifty. I'm going to stop there. Okay, Jesus stops. Jesus came to this earth because judgment is coming, and he came and he said, "Please open your eyes to see who I am." Kenny, just like the blind man, has a choice. Choice number one, he could stop right there and receive the grace of God in Christ. And he could turn around and experience eternal life with heaven. But there's another option Kenny could do, right? He could keep on walking. Right? Go ahead. You can keep on walking. All right, I stopped it. That scares me. Okay. <laughs> Don't want you to go there, brother. Okay. Have a seat. Thank you so much. Give him a hand. Isn't he awesome? He's amazing. <laughs> no. But do you see why Jesus came? Some of y'all look at that verse and say, Ooh, Jesus came for judgment. Are you kidding? Say, praise God, Jesus came because judgment's coming. He came to stop us from experiencing the wrath of God. And here's what Jesus did. He comes down, he gets on a cross, and he takes the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And in six hours, he accomplishes what you and I could not accomplish for all of eternity, which is to pay for our sin. And so when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. It is paid in full. So that everyone who trusts in Jesus' righteousness and for our sake now believes and has open eyes, are no longer blind. They see the truth and they cling to Jesus. And Jesus saves. The scripture says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And that those who see, meaning that they think they see, may become blind. Here's what that means. To those of us who are broken, spiritually blind, and we know it, we're longing for a Savior. And Jesus comes at the right time. There are some of us who are comfortable and we need to be broken. Some of us think we've got it all figured out. And when we think we've got it all figured out, we do some crazy stuff. Just like the Pharisees, some of us are going to trust in our family name. I've got all my family right across the street buried down there. And I know they were believers because they, they always paid their tithes. They helped sweet ladies cross the street. Okay, They helped uh, to clip whatever needed to be clipping at the church. Okay, They were good workers. And you know what? Since it's of my blood, then I'm, I know there's a place for me because of all the work that they did. Listen, that is not going to get you in a right relationship with God. The, your last name? Listen, I, I've come to find out a truth, and that's this. I have three daughters. If all three of them get married, 
None of them are going to have the scripture name. Mm, sad. But you know what? It doesn't matter. In the long call, the only thing that matters is that my daughters know Christ. Because that is what's going to change eternity. Some of us believe in our work ethic, our morals, our religion, our church membership, or even our knowledge. Listen, some of you are like, well, I'm not perfect, but I have good excuses for my sin. There's no good excuse for sin. And some of us in here are offended at the mere thought that you could be blind to spiritual things. Here's what Jesus has to say about that. He says, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Here it comes. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said, are are you saying we're blind? Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you're blind, you would have no guilt. But now I say to you, but now you say, we see, and so your guilt remains. Jesus is saying, listen, all of us begin blind. Blind from birth. We're blind spiritually from birth. And we don't even know we're blind. We don't. We don't know we're blind. But once we experience the light, once we hear the good news of, of Jesus, we've got a choice to make. That, that darkness kind of gets pierced by light. And if you come to Christ, you want to know more of it. And God gives you eyes to see and to receive Him. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. But some of us, just like the the, um, Pharisees, they're blind and they refuse to believe that they're in darkness. So they say this, oh, I can see very well. And Jesus says, okay, the truth is you're blind. But if if you say you can see well, all right, keep walking. Keep walking. You say you can see well, you don't need me. Keep walking. That's a scary place to be. I plead with you by the authority of God's word, stop. Stop. Receive Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. The apostle Paul makes a plea for you today. He says, uh, in the case of people who are spiritually blind, he says... In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't believe any of this stuff, I don't believe the Bible, I don't believe anything about Jesus, listen, I'm here to tell you, you don't believe that because of something you've conjured up in your mind. There is an enemy of your soul that would have nothing more than for you to believe a lie and not believe the truth. Okay, It's more than you just saying, I've got it all figured out. You've got an enemy that's closing your mind to the truth. And it says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. It doesn't matter Buck Creek Baptist Church. What matters is, do you know Christ? 